So today we, we look at the transfiguration. The transfiguration of Jesus is found in, uh, in Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke. And then we see some very important things in the transfiguration. We see the revelation of the glory of the Son of God, a, a glimpse of what is to come when Jesus comes back, that idea of just the perfection and the glory and the, the, glory and the brightness that comes from him. We get a confirmation that Jesus is the Christ, just as Peter had confessed in the chapter before in chapter 16. And we also kind of get this encouraging experience because Jesus had been talking to his disciples about his impending death. So Peter, James, and John, when they see this, they get a little bit of encouragement. They get a little bit of excitement. And speaking of Peter and the other disciples, um, do, you ever, do you ever read the Bible and kind of envision yourself in it? It's harder to do with letters. You know, in letters, it, it feels like you're kind of just sitting there and someone is reading from a scroll or, or talking to you. Um, not that that's not enjoyable, because I'm sure you all enjoy having someone talk to you right now. But when it's the narrative, when it's a story, sometimes you can kind of just close your eyes and you can kind of feel like you're in it. And so I thought we'd do that today. I thought we'd kind of jump into it just so that you can see this is not the, the gospel according to Trevor. This just kind of helps me when I think about this story. And so I kind of close my eyes and I see it, you know, it's, it's early in the morning. The sun's not quite up. Jesus comes by. John's still sleeping. He's shaking him awake. Philip's snoring because Philip's always snoring. You know how he is. And he's like, wake up, wake up. He's like, what's going on? Jesus is like, we're going to go climb a mountain. He's like, whatever, dude, you're Christ. Let's do this. So they get up. They hit the lobby. Peter and James are already there. They're a little bleary-eyed, but they're fishermen, you know, early bird catches the worm. Fish eat worm. Ergo, if you're a fisherman, you got to get up early. So they're ready to go. They hop in the Uber, they get over to the mountain, and then they start to climb. And as they're climbing the mountain, this part's not in the scripture. This is, again, this is not the scripture. This is just maybe. These are maybes, right? So they're climbing the mountain. James looks over at Peter. He's like, hey, bro, brothers, let me get some of that trail mix. Peter checks his pocket. He's like, uh-oh, this isn't good. He's checking the right. He's checking the left. He's looking. James is like, I want the trail mix. He's screaming at him. You know how brothers get. They start to push. Jesus looks behind him. He's like, John, what's going on? John's all like, Peter, forgot the trail mix. Jesus is like, watch this, watch this. Peter, check your right pocket. Peter's like, Lord, I already checked my right pocket. But because you said so, I will. Pulls out the trail mix. Looks at it, and he's all like, Lord, no M&M's? Check your left pocket. Pulls out the bag of M&M's. Forget the trail mix. We know we only eat the M&M's anyway. Then they get up to the top of the mountain. They're huffing and puffing. James is wiping off the sweat from his face. John's a little bit upset. He snagged his, uh, his robe on a mountain bush. I don't know what kind of mountain bush it was, but he did. Peter's all like, this better be some crazy view because boom, transfiguration. Jesus, shining bright. Uh, one of the scriptures says it's like lightning. Another one says it's a bleach, a white so white that no one could ever bleach it. There he is, shining in all his glory, and the disciples kind of like rubbing their eyes, and they see, and there's Moses, and there's Elijah. Moses, maybe he's representing the law, right? The old covenant, the promise of salvation. Elijah, the great restorer of things, the prophet, talking with Jesus. What are they talking about? But they're talking about Jesus' death, because in Jesus' death, we see the fulfillment of the Old Testament of the law and the promise of the prophets. And then what happens? Peter starts talking. Now, Peter just got called Satan in the chapter before, so you think he wouldn't be doing too much talking. But he starts talking, and he doesn't know what he's saying. He's kind of like bumbling. He's like, oh, let's build some shelters, and we can like kind of live up here. It'll be really cool. And I'm always like, Peter, you goof, saying your goofy things. If I was there, I'd have been like, oh, clearly what we have here is a revelation of the glory of the Son of God. 
a glimpse of what is to come. It's kind of, you know, with the certainty that he is the Christ. And of course, this is really encouraging for us because he's about to die. At least I'd like to think that that's what I'd say, but the truth is probably something a little bit different, isn't it? The truth is probably I'd be a little bit like Peter, and I'd want to stay as well. You know, Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you might miss it. And I never really thought Ferris was talking about building shelters on top of a mountain. I always thought he was just trying to say, like, let's do cool things and skip school. But I think if they were to make a remake of this movie... Ferris would have to say, life is accelerating at a pace that you can't imagine, and if you stop and look around once, it will pass you by. Because it seems like in so many spheres of life, everything is accelerating and changing, and we just can't keep up. Let's look at the typewriter. Have you ever heard of this? The typewriter? It is the machine. <laughs> you would type on it. Words would appear on a piece of paper. You'd have to scring, you'd ding. I don't know. I never actually saw one. But what I do know is this. <laughs> It was made in 1860, and for 100 years to like 1980, which is slightly more, but I'm going to give 20 years here or so, therefore, to get into the mainstream, this was the tool of choice that businesses were using. Now, that's 100 years of the same type of thing that everyone is using in the workplace. That's almost three generations of workers going by using one thing. And then in 1980, a computer comes along. And I worked down in the youth office. And in the youth office on Tuesday, there was someone typing on a desktop, someone typing on a MacBook Pro, someone typing on a laptop, someone typing on an iPad, someone typing on their phone, and then this really cool guy using a yellow piece of paper. And everything was just different and changing. And it's not just the typewriter. Look at music. You want from the record to the 8-track tape to the cassette to the CD to your phone. You want to talk about letters? These are these things you used to write. Letters to fax machines to emails to text, now you just update your status. It seems like the world is moving at an incredible, accelerating pace. And it can be overwhelming. Technology is changing every five to seven years, but did you know that it takes 10 to 15 years for the average human society person to adjust to it? which means by just about the time you've figured it out, something else has already come along twice. And these advancements are bringing seismic shifts in our society. And the fact is that if fast is moving really fast, then slow is moving really slow. And suddenly you're left feeling disorientated, confused, scared, overwhelmed, and full of anxiety. And you can't seem to function if you can't keep up. There's always more to learn, more to figure out, some new thing to try, and then it all changes and you have to start over. And you question what it means to be an employee, to have a job and to work, what it means to be a parent, what it means to be a spouse, what it means just to be a self and to live in like this continual angst of never knowing what is going to happen next. So yeah, yeah, I'm thinking that I want to stop. I'm thinking I want to put up some shelters, and they also should have brought my air mattress because it's going to be really hard sleeping on the ground on top of this mountain for so long, and then boom. A cloud envelops, and we hear God speak, and we hear this. This is my son whom I love. 
With him, I am well pleased. We heard that at his baptism. And then we get a little another piece. Listen to him. Listen to him. In the midst of wanting to stay, Jesus comes down, reaches down, touches us, maybe not with his hands, because we weren't there, but with the waters of baptism, with the bread and wine. And he says to us, gently, get up. Don't be afraid. It's like he's saying, yeah, there is fear. There's a lot of change. There is chaos. And there is angst. But take heart. For I have overcome the world. And I have given you a spirit of courage. I have redeemed you. And I have called you by name. The disciples get up. And them and Jesus go back down the mountain. Because in a rapidly changing world, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when the mountains or the ever-changing landscape of difficulty comes into our lives, we don't see them as some unexpected challenge now that we have to somehow figure out how to get through this. But rather, we sit in that angst with a quiet confidence that knows that God has prepared us for this moment that we are in now. That he has seen this. And that he is with us. And that he has equipped us for what lies ahead. He's with us because he goes before us. You see, Christ is coming down this mountain only to go up another mountain. And it's during this Lenten season that we watch as our Lord journeys to the cross, to a cross where he will give us the victory, to a cross where he will conquer death, sin, and the power of the devil, and a cross where in his love for you and me, he gives us life. And he promises that nothing will be able to separate us from him And in the day-to-day -day grind of life, in the constant acceleration, as his children, we start to learn to let go. And we learn to accept, to trust that what he brings to us, these opportunities, these moments of life, these difficulties, these interactions with others, all these things he works to good. Because he goes to the high places and brings down to us in the low places of our lives exactly what we need. Peace in our moments of weakness and worry. Mercy for our mistakes and for our sin. Grace in times of need and love. A love that says, I will continue to follow you. I will not stop, no matter how many times I trip 
or fall or what happens. I'm going to make it through because you are holding me tight. And he is never letting go of any of us.